All right, Johnny. All right, Tyler. You like you too, don't you? Yeah. Then you might like Peter Gabriel 3 Melt. So, as the strains of Games Without Frontiers dies away, it's time for another episode of Then You Might Like, where Tyler and I discuss albums that you possibly might like if you are into U2. And this week it is the mighty Peter Gabriel. Now, this was something that Tyler presented to me and I have been kind of in two minds about. A lot of that is prejudice and is unfair, but to me, and I don't know if this is the same as you, uh, same with you, Tyler, but to me... Peter Gabriel has always had associations, not saying they're correct, not saying they're justified, I'm just saying they're there, with being very, very uncool. That's certainly interesting, and um, no, I, I, I disagree. Peter Gabriel, I said, this, I said this exact same thing with Thin Lizzy. Uh, one of those names that just if you, you you know particularly if you were brought up at the same uh, time as myself and Johnny, one of those names of the music scene that had kind of had a certain respect but also a bit of a niche following, mm. I would say. Uh, and I never listened to Peter Gabriel until a friend of mine said. You should listen to Peter Gabriel because I know you'll love Peter Gabriel. And they introduced me to a track called Red Rain, which has every bit of U2 style theatre and U2 style, um, you know, you know the way that U2 do the epic. I'm thinking of like Under a Blood Red Sky, not Under a Blood Red Sky, Bullet the Blue Sky. Mm. You know, you know that kind of that presentation. Um, uh, it, it's kind of like a wist, were the streets of no name, and it and it just it kind of it kind kind of works. That was uh, Red Rain was my introduction to uh, to Peter Gabriel. There are a lot and of parallels f- between the two bands. I mean, having I have never sat down and listened end to end, cover to cover, a Peter Gabriel album, a Peter Gabriel album ever, and I can definitely understand the connections. I understand why this was something you put forward for Tommel that as a good idea. So I get the connections. I just feel like Peter Gabriel and, and Genesis and let, in and let me just say, let me just say when I put forward this album for Tummel, I had no idea just how uh intertwined with you two I, I may find it. The reason I put this forward for Tummel was that Steve Lillywhite produced it and if it wasn't the album before Boy, it was an album or two before boy yeah around the you same know time. it was it was really it was really close and as soon as i put on this album i started thinking oh that's interesting i can hear the production choices i'm familiar with these production choices because i'm so familiar with boy yeah but as i as i started to get to know um melt or three i i call it peter gabriel 3 Mm. Um, it's it's become known as Melt since the digital download era because Peter Gabriel brought out Peter Gabriel one, Peter Gabriel two, Peter Gabriel three. You, you know, it wasn't it wasn't so much an issue to call an album a different thing back in uh, back in th- that time. But uh, I'm going to struggle to call it Melt, so it's it's PG three. That's how I refer to it. 
PG three when I started listening to it, it reminded me so much of Boy. Not not because I I feel like Peter Gabriel and you two have all these similarities between them, but because Steve Lillywhite produced it and I recognise Steve Lillywhite's production on it. So that's why I suggested it. And then once I started to listen to it, um I re- I'd I'd certainly think if you know, Peter Gabriel and you two aren't, you know, uh, collaborators, then they're certainly aware of each other because they've mirrored each other in a stunning way Mm. throughout uh, each of their careers. And certainly contemporaries who, with the, I mean, the very, very scant Peter Gabriel noise that I have. I mean, this is probably the episode of Tumble that I know I know the least about the the main thing that we are looking at, which is good in a way because it means I can just try to look at the music and focus on that in many ways. Well, certainly what I've been looking forward to is this is an album that we we both know nothing about. I, I know I know that I don't know, and I I like Peter Gabriel. There are one or two tracks, uh, and, and you know what? Very similarly to to David Bowie, there are one or two tracks, a couple of albums that yeah I've listened to and I, and I know really well, but I know I just knowing us. It's not really what we go in for. Not necessarily something that we won't like, but it's not It's not what we're naturally drawn to. No, and like I said, him, Phil Collins, Genesis, that whole scene, to me, just gets wrapped up with a, a terribly outmoded, classic 80s bad music sort of vibe that gets... I'm not, again, I'm not saying this is this is what is the case. I'm saying that people who grew up in our generation i think would have balked at, at peter gabriel there's a i mean one of not the... not so much as we'd bought a bulk at, Pete, uh, at phil collins or genesis i think genesis really and i don't hate them that i don't hate them that much i i despise phil collins to a ridiculous level you know, <laughs> what, what's level... that based on a, a level that I can't even dis, even describe. It's not even fur. I can't even I can't even say that it's a fur assessment of Phil Collins. I just don't like the man. Mm. He, I, I think he looks grubby. I think he looks dirty. I, I, I don't I don't think he'd be a nice person to be around. And it's all superficial judgments. But the man annoys me. Like <laughs> he annoys me horribly. How, how um, fair. Yeah, it is ridiculously unfair. Um, but we should probably move on to some uh, U2 and, and quite scant uh, U2 connections uh, this week. Um, so the final track on this album is called Biko, uh, written about Stephen Biko. Um, and I'm sure we'll we'll cover that as we get to the track. But Bono attributes that song as being the song that taught him about apartheid. And... Um, if you watch live versions of of Biko, the way that uh, Peter Gabriel performs the track is very, very reminiscent of the way you two perform Forty. Now, I'm not actually sure who started this. Who did it first? Did did you two start? You know, with one member leaving the stage, one you know one by one, and mm. you know leaving the drummer. If you watch a, a live version of Biko, that is very much what happens. The drummer's the last person left on stage. The singer's the first person to leave the stage. And um, I, I, ju- I just, I, I don't think any 
music fan with any knowledge of both bands can't draw a comparison. The the lights are red. It it just in in every way it seems similar. You know, mm. it seems it, it seems comparable. But I don't know who did it first. Well, I mean, I don't it's probably not it exclusive first. to just those two bands. I imagine it's something that has. I imagine a few different bands have done it, but there is that pro- probably that cross pollination. But I will agree, and not to give too many spoilers, but when I listened to because it's the first time I'd ever heard Biko, um, when I put that on, I instantly was reminded of of particular U two tracks, and obviously that, that predate. Um, so, sorry, that did, did you go? Did you did you do what we? I mean, what we always do, and go and watch like a live version of Biko. Um, I didn't watch that one. Um, I watched a few different live versions, and I think he is incredible live. And I I think this album. If I went to to see this album played end to end, I think I would definitely enjoy myself. But that doesn't mean that this is an end to end success for me. I think I'm probably going to be a little bit critical. So if there are any Peter Gabriel fans who are listening who've sort of stumbled upon this podcast, I'm always quite wary of this when we do tumble because I'm thinking, are there going to be people who just are looking for a review of Melt and then they stumble on this and think, what are these two idiots who know nothing about Peter Gabriel harping on about? Well, that's our disclaimer. We know a bit about you two. And at least for me, nothing about. Let's just say we're two we're two idiots that know nothing about anything, including you two. Yeah, well, that's covered all bases. Uh, But but we're 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 two you two fans that spent a ridiculous amount of time in our youth listening to you two, and not enough time listening to the music around you two. (laughs) And this tumul journey is. This is us discovering it. So, mm. uh, you know, if you know everything about Peter Gabriel, this maybe isn't the 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 podcast for you. You are you are invited to sit and listen to us discovering music that we normally are discovering for the first time. That's the that's the that's as Chris Rock would say. That's the premise. The premise of the podcast. That's the premise. Mm-hmm. These guys don't know rock music. That's the premise. Jesus, I'm going to have to <laughs> lower your volume there a little bit. <laughs> Thanks, Tyler Rock. Um, all right, okay. So um, do we have any other connections? Do you, do you agree with the premise, Johnny? Uh, that That is the premise. Yes, I agree. I'm not going <laughs> to bring out my Chris Rock impression, luckily. Uh, but what? Uh, any other connections that we've got between Peter Gabriel and you two? They have crossed path, um, paths, particularly on tours and concerts and shows that have had a social conscience that have been trying to get behind some sort of um cause usually anti-racist stuff that kind of thing peter gabriel has certainly been aware of you two because of his connection to uh steve lillywhite who didn't just produce this album he did uh i i think even uh danois produced three uh albums which is something I researched three weeks ago and didn't write down because I'm an idiot. But but it, there is certainly they've used the same producers. They they move in the same uh, same kind of circles. And Peter Gabriel did feature or at least sample on one of the remixes from the Unforgettable Fire uh, sessions. Mm. He's in the remastered uh, yeah. version, the deluxe version of Unforgettable Fire on um, a sort of Homecoming. Um, yeah, doesn't improve it very much but you know nice to have 
<laughs> yeah, that seems to be the. That seems to be like the you know the the only one. Uh, but the the more I mean, as we go through this album, we're going to mention more things that oh that sounds like this. Oh, that sounds like that. Uh, it's kind of surprising that Peter Gabriel hasn't turned up on more U two stuff through the years. Yeah, I'd say there's probably a big crossover in the in the in the fans, and particularly I think I imagine. I, mean, I don't want to stereotype anyone, but I, I think probably men in the fifties probably own a lot of Peter Gabriel slash U two albums. That's what I'm going to well, say. Well, well, uh, call me a man in his fifties then, because I I I just. Peter Gabriel is just is shot into this category where I would put him in the same category as David Bowie and Billy Joel and Bruce Springsteen. People that if I walk into a record shop and I don't know what to buy, I, I want to buy one of their records because I, I, I know I'm guaranteed something great to listen to. I'd say so you're guaranteed it, something interesting to listen to. I think... Uh, great might be might be a stretch and maybe we'll maybe we'll we'll be um butting heads on this album somewhat then in some places but you know i like it when there's a little bit of friction a little bit of um a little bit of conflict have you got the chart then for for this time then uh the chart yeah when was this when was this Uh, released it was released on may 30th 1980 a brave new decade shining 10 years ready to be taken on and we get Peter Gabriel's Melt. Okay, so let's go with the chart. Hit it. Hit it. I say that. At number 10, down from 5, it's Dexy's Midnight Runners with Gino. Number 9, Lip Sync, Funky Tone. And at number 8, Rat Race, The Specials. Number 7 now, Mirror in the Bathroom by The Beat. Number 6, Up One Place, Over You by Roxy Music. Top 5 now, number 5, We Are Glass, Gary Newman. Number four, down from three, She's Out of My Life, Michael Jackson. Number three, What's Another Year, Johnny Logan. Number two, Staying There for Another Week, It's No Doubt About It, Hot Chocolate. And number one, all the way up from six, the theme from MASH, Suicide is Painless, MASH. Um, Decent chart, not, not much to say about that, to be honest. Roxy Music in there, Brian Eno, are we going to continue to ignore Roxy Music and Brian Eno on this podcast? I d- I think we are. I don't like <laughs> Roxy Music. I've tried and failed multiple times. Roxy Music, not for me. No, thank you. Um, feel free to uh, to recommend stuff though to us on on um, on Twitter. I'll keep listening and keep not enjoying them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Feel free to recommend stuff, but def- definitely don't. <laughs> oh, well, fair enough. Um, right. Well, we got side one, Intruder. And um, fun fact about about this album, he recorded it all, all the lyrics again but in german which i've just been listening to a moment or two of and i don't know what i was expecting it is exactly the same but just in german and um i don't really know why he did that i guess maybe he's got he's got a a market that that are interested in his you know german fans or something like that but there we go um i listened to about two minutes of it and thought yeah that's the same song but in german um so there we go i don't know if anyone prefers that version Are are the lyrics different well they're in german yeah, but the, oh, oh, you're right. Yeah, but the lyrics of um, "99 Red Balloons" and "Ishnuf Nine Balloon" is, um, and I think that's an exact translation. Yeah, well done. They're not, they're not, the, they're not the the same, are they? Well, how would I know if they're the same or not? Well, you always pretend to speak German. 
<laughs> no, I don't. I can speak a tiny bit. A bit. Of, a t- I did German for one year in year eight, and then was not allowed to do it for GCSE because it was quote not enough interest. Right. Um. So, okay. I, so I don't know. I, and also, I don't know enough Peter Gabriel. I, I mean, I've not memorized all the lyrics to to this album. But anyway, Intruder. You were asking me before, Tyler, about gated drums, and this seems to be something that we have to talk about if we're going to talk about this album. Um, I've looked at a few different versions of an explanation of gated drums, and even the Wikipedia version seems very confusing. There is there's there's multiple steps for creating these uh, live room methods, effects methods, but essentially it's a bit like that old quote about pornography. You know, I'll I'll know it when I see it. And it, this is like, you know it when you hear it. It's basically that 80s sound for drums, that kind of doosh, where you have a reverb that seems to be present for a moment or two, but then it doesn't carry on bleeding out. It's that Phil Collins classic 80s drum sound. I, I've got an electronic kit behind me, and on my, on my 80s mode, that's exactly the sound. It sounds just like this record. So, I mean, I don't think anyone's going to get a massive amount out of us talking about how you create gated reverb on a drum kit here. But I, this is I the mean, sound. The, re- the, reason I want, the reason I wanted you to talk about this is because uh, you've heard me drum. I, I'm not a good drummer, right? I'm not a talented guitarist, but I can play a few chords, right? But you, you, are, you are a drummer. You seem to take some joy in, drummer, uh, in drumming. <laughs> Uh, the best drummer we know uh, is Vinny, who's appeared on a couple of episodes, and the guy absolutely baffles me because he's never had a lesson in drums in his life, but he's just insanely good. I don't, I don't understand. It, it is like a completely different thing. So I was, I was hoping you could try and bring some, you know, some of the technical terms to this. Um, would you say then, uh, considering we're both obviously idiots, would you say that? Um, it, it had a big impact on the way Larry drums, particularly in the eighties, or maybe you know any particular point in his career. Well, I mean, Larry's drum sound evolves. And the difference is the drum sound and the drum style. I think nowadays he's got a much more organic sounding drum st- sound, unless he's going for something that's particularly digital like you know invisible or something like that that's got an obvious craftworky sort of sound but usually larry's kit sounds pretty pretty naturalistic these days i would say but particularly on an album like october i think you do have that gated or at least very 80s reverby drum sound um on a lot of larry's tracks um well look let's go to let's go to peter gabriel who was talking to the quietus in 2011 and let's see if Gabriel can shed any light, because we're certainly not doing any. Um, the song was written around my basic, brackets, drum machine programmed pattern. And it originally had a much fuller arrangement. When Hugh, so that is, let's give him a shout out, old Hugh. Hugh, oh God, Hugh pa- Padham or Pad- Paddingham. Is it, I assume that's an Irish name of, of some extraction originally. Padham? Again, very, very, very poor um, research for our part here. Um, when Hugh put on the gated reverb, I got incredibly excited and thought that it was going to change the way the drums sounded. I said, let's turn it up. Let's really put the drums loud and proud at the front of the mix and everything else will be subservient. I asked Phil, so Phil Collins, then to just repeat that pattern from start to finish without putting in any fills. I also asked him to take the metal off the kit. There were no cymbals or hi-hats. So... What you've got then is a very talented drummer, no matter what we say about Phil Collins, very talented drummer, essentially being hampered 
or given a massive restriction, which I do like. I think that's a great idea. It's like giving the edge a guitar with just two strings on it. Like maybe the maybe the E and the and the B string or something and saying, right, come up with something for this. And I think what Peter Gabriel was going for is that idea of if you put a restriction on someone with talent, they will end up delivering something that is unique and interesting. If you want a reverse of that, look at the later Tarantino or the later George Lucas, people who have no limit seemingly on their budget or money. And I mean, this isn't really the time to get into a film review, but I much prefer Reservoir Dogs to Once Upon a Time in Hollywood by about a hundred times. And the budget between those two films is, I think, something like, you know, comparative to about you know a quarter of a million versus million tens of millions so i think that's what he was going for let's restrict and therefore make someone create something and that's why we end up with this quite intense um this intense drum sound have you got bored tyler i thought you were going to say something in response to that there there is so much and so many other things that really grab my attention not necessarily just about the song but a great about the album you know other than a a certain style of drumming um but I I do agree with like if you take something away, then people try harder to be uh, more um, inventive, innovative. Um, you know, try harder to get the job done. If you you know like if you just you make it slightly harder for them to achieve what they would have achieved anyway. So I I, I agree with that. I agree with that. And I do I I do think listening to this album because we've come to. Uh, this album in a very uh, what we'd normally describe as a Doctor Who way in, in that we've heard albums that it influenced before we heard this album then it, it does it, the, the, the drum beat doesn't necessarily sound that groundbreaking until you think well no this was the first one mm. this was the first one that ever did that but because we've come to it it, it doesn't really work the same way from, for us because we've heard this last yeah. Um, um, so, so that's the difficulty in in just being who we are and being our our generation. Do I appreciate it for what it is? Yeah, I appreciate it what it for what it is. But do I see it for what it is? Possibly not, because that that's not the way I've you know developed my interest in music. It, it's um, I, we can't we can't do this review without talking about gated drums, but. I, I got. I got to be honest. It it, it it bores me more than than maybe it should. When I listen to Intruder, the first thing that hits me is there's a very very industrial mm. sound, and that's what I find to be groundbreaking. Because from the music that I have listened to, I feel like this is at least ten years before the. It, before you normally hear those, you know, those very industrial sounds on a, on a rock record, that's what makes makes me feel it's groundbreaking, uh, and 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 also I get immediately from when I start listening to this record, it starts to appear to be disturbing, otherworldly, very very cinematic. Everything I ever listened to with Peter Gabriel is very cinematic. It reminds me of the kind of stuff that Gavin Friday does now when he when he uh, reinterprets a U2 song. It reminds me of Zuropa that was 13 years later. It reminds me of very, very late David Bowie, like even Blackstar. And it reminds me of Nine Inch Nails. 
that's what I find amazing about it. It's not for me hung up on on a on a drum uh, a drum beat. Yeah, good. I I, I totally agree with that. The, the main thing that I've written down here is um is Nine Inch Nails. This sounds not only as it got the industrial feel of the drums, um and sparse hard hitting harshness in that percussive sound, but it also has the extra weird um. I don't know what you'd describe it as. I mean, it is just general percussion, but weird, like, twisting, ratcheting up, um, the sort of stuff that that turns up on... It, uh, it, that's the industrial stuff, yeah. yeah but, but what I mean is not just the not just the 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 drum beat, but, yeah, the, the weird stuff that's in the background that sounds like someone's sharpening a knife, that sort of stuff. It's very, very downward yeah. spirally. And that, Screeching. Yeah. yeah, and that's that's the main thing that I, that I took away in terms... Of, I've just put Nine Inch Nails and... I, I find this kind of silly in some ways because there is a sort of sinister quality and he's playing this serial killer. But I imagine in the 80s, this this hadn't become a cliche yet. You know, the song from the serial killer's perspective or at least a house intruder. I mean, the song's called Intruder. And he talks about going through everyone's drawers and standing over people and no, people knowing that, that that he's in the house and enjoying that, that delicious sort of feeling of, of people being terrified of him. Would I ever listen to this song normally? No. Do I think it's a good song? No, I don't. I, I genuinely think it's a it's a, wow. it's an it's an interesting way to open the album, and I could talk about it, but I I don't find it a good song. And I think the the thing that I think you could definitely say about about Peter Gabriel or PG Tips is he's got a cracking voice. And he's holding back on this, so he sounds intentionally. He sounds like a weirdo. He's kind of talking like a little sort of goblin who got into your house. Like, and there's this. When did David Bowie turn up? That's what it sounds like listening to that song. It's it, whereas the next song, when he actually opens his pipes up, I'm like, oh, that's Peter Gabriel. You know, that then I'm interested again. Unless it's Kate Bush. Um, but. <laughs> Right, so uh, this song, this album, I, I suspect, I, I, as I said in the intro, I wanted to listen to this album because it was um, an, a, a, a relatively recent album that Steve Lillywhite produced before Boy, right? And when I listen to it, uh, you've got there's bottle sounds that you can hear. Mm. It sounds like someone's probably playing the bottles, but it really reminded me of the, 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 yeah, you know, when it, it was Larry who was in the alleyway kicking bottles about <laughs> and they recorded that. And they had a bike wheel as well. Yeah. Well, well who could forget the bike wheel? But, um, but <laughs> it took me a long time to feel comfortable with this song because it is so weird. Yep, right? I'm still trying. It, it, it sounds weird, um, but it instantly starts to remind me of that production on Boy. I feel like Lily White's fingerprints are all over this. And what I also really appreciate this song is after Peter Gabriel left Genesis, and Genesis were a massive band. I don't think our generation really get how big Gen- Genesis were. They were huge. They, you know, they were they were a really big thing. When Peter Gabriel left Genesis. He could have done anything he wanted. He could have just brought out any old crap. But literally, it's like he chose, no, I'm not going to do the pop thing. I'm going to do what I find interesting. I'm going to do what I want to do with music, mm-hmm. right? And 
and I, th- I, I think in 1980, there were very few people that were thinking like that. And uh, honestly, I think the only way Peter Gabriel can sleep at night is if he goes away and he actually does something that he finds interesting. You know, he doesn't just he doesn't just want to write a classic four four song. He wants to do something that he finds artistically creative, challenging, and and interesting. And I really get that with Intruder. There's yeah. a certain rebelliousness about Intruder, which I love. This mischief, it's audio mischief, and I I I, I for that reason alone, I love it. Well, look, I, I will I will say this right. In every aspect, pretty much of this album. Um, the artwork, the production style, the type of songs he's going for. I think he is obviously trying to take creative risks. And my God, I, I appreciate that much more than someone who's just going to stay absolutely safe and produce something that's anodyne and crappy and, and just cookie cutter. So I do appreciate that. And the, But the thing is, if you are taking those risks, sometimes it pays off, as we will find it does time and time again on this album. And sometimes you fall flat on your face and for me, I, I just cannot see myself ever being in a position to put this song on. Even though I respect it, you know, I just, I, I can't imagine getting that itch and being like, I really want to hear Intruder. Um, or the German version, neither that. Also, there's whistling in it. And Cardinal Sin for me is whistling on records. And Steve Lillywhite whistles on this record at various points. And I, I hate it. I hate whistling on records. It's... You know, oh god! So, so not only is it going to be awkward if we ever interview Eno because I, 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 I may have accidentally called him something mean, but now, but now you're criticizing Lily White's whistling. You can interview so, Steve. I'll do Brian. Simple. Uh, what about Danwar? Can we both do that one? Oh yeah, we both like that. We, we both like Danwar, right? I think you've insulted his dress sense a couple of times, but I'm sure he's used to that by now. Well, who hasn't? Um, um, do you get? I, I've written down Zoo Station here for some reason. Maybe it's just yeah, yeah. Like I get. A, yep. Maybe it's because it's a it's an industrial opening with quite a rigid drum thing. But um, but then I'm just yeah. I'm, I I mentioned Zeropa thirteen years before Zeropa. I feel that like this is like so in the vein of what they were trying to do. Yeah. Um, I think Edge would obviously say that there's more of a European influence in in Zeropa, but. When when this is thirteen years before, and they obviously heard it, that must have been lingering somewhere in the back of his mind, at least, you know. Yeah, and um, I, and I think it is it's brave to make the decisions that he's made. And so, if if someone said to me, "Would you like to play drums on a track?" and I said, "Yeah, that'd be great. Don't expect too much, but yes, I will do." Um, and then they said, "But you can't use any of the any of the symbols, like any of the metal on it." I would say, "Okay, sort of limited now with what I'm going to do," and. And that's kind of a crazy decision. So, it, yeah, but that's the kind of stupid thing that you would say. <laughs> uh, really, yeah. yeah you, you, oh, oh, come in and play guitar, but you, oh, you can't use guitars. You can only use bananas. Playing, that's playing a guitar of, with a banana would be interesting. The question is peeled <laughs> or unpeeled. I think I suppose that would be the distinction. <laughs> Next track, uh, number two at 3 minutes 55. It was the second single released from the album, released on the 5th of May 1980. It reached number 30 on the UK chart. It features Phil Collins on drums, uh, Kate Bush on backing vocals, and Robert Fribb on uh, on guitar. Fribb. Um, 
What did I say? Fib. You said Frib. Robert Robert Fripp. Yeah, yeah, Robert Fripp on uh, on guitar. Uh, thoughts on no self control, Johnny? Um, well, the first thing I've written down is there's that voice because when he when he sings um, when he opens up his his, his his range on this after Intruder, it's fantastic and you and I can't I can't describe how good it was to hear that voice because you hear it obviously on the big singles like Sledgehammer for example which everyone knows and no one no one sings like him and I just think I want the opportunity for him to to be showing his command of melody his command of the ranges of his different you know, his different ranges yeah it just when he's saying um, I don't know how to stop it's just incredible and I could listen to this song over and over again also the I mean I assume it's a synthesized version of a xylophone or something like that but um, it reminded me of the Tears of Fears song "Change," which I don't know if you've heard that one before. So, yeah, I, I know that. Very yeah. Tears of Fearsy. So I mean, not just an influence on you too, but um, obviously a big influence all around. Really enjoyable squealing guitars, and this is this is perfect. This is under four minutes. It's got industrial, like uh, metallic, interesting textured guitars. The production has obviously been thought through and slaved over. And you've got melody. That's the thing. But you could, you know, you could just sit down and play this on a guitar. And I think when he does this in live versions, he does tend to strip it down or change the arrangement a little bit, and it would still sound good, you know, just as a just as a song. So um, thumbs up, I say. And also, Kate Bush is there. <laughs> yeah, it, it, and Kate Bush turns up again and again on this album. Uh, much, yeah. I I thought I didn't know which way you go really with this. I I didn't know if you'd appreciate the more artistic stuff or the more poppy stuff, but obviously a much more poppy style. Uh, I had a similar reaction to you. Like the, his his voice is completely unique. There's no one that sounds like it. well. In fact, Harry Styles very recently has done a version of Sledgehammer, and I I honestly think that Harry Styles. Singing that song, I don't feel like he's doing impersonation, but I think he comes across as being, you know, having a very good voice, very similar to a young Peter Gabriel. Uh, I'd recommend anybody. I feel like you're anybody, courting uh, controversy at the moment with your statements. Like, it seems like you're purposely trying to get to like go against the grain. Like, oh, Miley Cyrus is great. Oh, Harry Styles is great. I I I think both. Uh, I, I mean, I I I am legit a big fan of Miley Cyrus. Okay, I really am. I I'm not ashamed of that. I think she is the next big thing. But Harry Styles, he did. He was on Howard. It was a. It was. It was. He didn't release it. He just did a version of it on Howard Stern. He he seems to be dressed like Marge Simpson. That's fine. But um, it it it's. I I think it's a really really good version of Harry Styles. Whatever you think of Harry Styles, he's got. No, a you showed pretty... it to me, and I, I I thought it was great. It was he's obviously got. Um, yeah. He, he's obviously much like a lot of those boy band people. He was obviously much more talented than the predetermined box that he'd been stuck into to begin with. Mm. Although I must say that music video where he's just flying around the place makes him look an absolute idiot. But anyway, like the worst superhero. But, hey, ever. hey, hey, in that Howard Stern video, like yeah, you know, if you even if you don't like Howard, even uh, even if you don't like uh, Harry Styles. He's got an amazing backing band behind yeah, him, yeah. and he good. and he really does. I I I I feel like I'd be a superstar if I had a backing band like that behind me. Um, so uh, I'd recommend anybody to go and uh, go and check that out. Uh, this song, uh, who did you say this reminded you of? Tears for Fears. 
Actually, just, fizz, just fizz. a xylophone, though. Or whatever sound that is. This this, this song reminded me of uh, Clan Carousel and Arcade Fire, particularly the uh, the percussion parts. Mm. Uh, Who will meet later and... on Arcade Fire in this album. Oh, oh yeah, certainly. Uh, and so the next song is track number three. I don't think it'll take us very long because there's no lyrics. Uh, it's uh, Start with 1 minute 21 seconds. Yep, very 80s, very um, saxophone heavy. I, I enjoy this. I like it. Uh, uh, yeah. Uh, how are you with saxophone at the minute? Have we taught you anything over the course of Tom? Or do you like it yet? It's just that generally, in if we have to rank our instruments into where we what we you know what we generally go to, I'm a pretty boring like I like synthesizers, I like guitars, I like I like loud drums. Brass is fairly low down. It's not as far down as whistling, which is awful, and the recorder, which seems to be basically an instrument that's intended to torture not only school children but anyone in the local vicinity, like listening to them. But um, no, it's, it's, it's I don't I don't I don't know. You don't get it. For me, a saxophone is so moving. It's um really a saxophone really gets me. On on t- look, there's a few Tears Fears tracks that use saxophone to very very high degrees, and I prefer a sax to a trumpet, um definitely or a cor anglais. But um yeah, it's 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 nice. This is this is very nice, and I think the the reason why this is a, a great thing to have in the album is it's so unexpected that the third track in, you've got. Oh, Tyler's dropped a squashy. Listeners, you can't see this, but Tyler is chomping through some squashies like some sort of mad child while we're recording. Um, but um, and by the way, we, we both like squashies. So if um, if who makes squashies? Who is it who makes them? If they want to send us um, any, they can do the drumsticks. People, it's, bassets, isn't it? Uh, sh- no, schwizzles. Oh, well, no, I'm not lying. I'm not, I'm, I'm, I'm not saying you're lying. Oh well, fair enough. Well, yeah, if uh, you know squashies, I prefer schwizzle, schwizzles, drumsticks. I prefer the squashies. cherry ones personally, and the rhubarb and custard ones. I like sir. Well, there we go. Um, anyway, the re- the reason why this is a good inclusion on the track is on the album is it wrong foots you completely. No self control is, uh, like we said. Yes, it's got melody, but it's very industrial sounding. It's pretty much a song about addiction as well, and we've not really gotten into the psychological aspects of this. I could imagine that Peter Gabriel maybe um, is someone who's been to some deep, dark places on it on his own, and I, you know, I know nothing about him, obviously psychologically speaking. But this seems to be an album that's full of things that are to do with addiction and and difficult times and isolation and depression, perhaps. So you get these beautiful, sumptuous '80s keys and then um, saxophone, and then we go into I don't remember, which is another one of those industrial stompers really which is much more dark in its theme so it's weird because you go from lushness to something quite aggressive sounding and i like that that's again artistic risk that pays off here yeah maybe i mean i i I struggle with it i always struggle with a track that's like less than two minutes long because i just how much am i really supposed to go but i i uh, maybe it does like just clear the canvas a little bit for I don't remember. Uh, by the way, I don't remember is track number four, and it is four minutes and forty two seconds. Oh, I really, I really wanted to to ask you what what is the next track, and then you say I don't remember, and then say oh is, you, is your mind gone? Anyway, it doesn't matter. Uh, that that seems very season one. Uh, um, back in the heyday. 
Back when we were young yeah. and vital and the world was a shining coin <laughs> ready to be picked up. Oh, well. This is uh, the fourth single released on September the... Well, in September 1980. Uh, and it got to uh, um, all the way up to number 66. In the in the UK charts. Well, it didn't didn't trouble the top ten then. Okay, fair enough. I can see why. Um, it's not a usual single, really. Um, I like it though. The the bass sound is what I've I've written the word glubby here, which is the only adjective I could use to describe the bass sound. It's glubby, and make of that what you will. But I I it's such a weird specific bass sound. Um, it's not fast either in terms of beats for minutes but it's got a real sense of momentum to it like the song keeps turning itself over and the drums are really insistent in this and keep pushing it through and through and again it's another one where you've got all that interesting production choice but there's also melodies there so i mean i I think this is this is great the catchiness is balanced out by the abrasiveness and i think it it reaches a, a, a great if, if there was more of this on the album, then I would be very, very happy. But I feel like this and um, No Self Control seems to be two real highlights that the album doesn't necessarily get back to for me. Well, I, I, I mean, I've been trying to emphasize to you uh, recently um, the importance of like deep listening to you know. I feel, I feel like deep listening to an album is a really lost art form, and it's it's definitely something that I used to do in a way that I used to listen to music, but I don't seem to do it. What anymore. do you mean by deep listening but then I, for the for the lay person? What what would you what would you count that as? Deep listening would be it would ne- these days would be that you put uh, the album on, you lay back in a chair, and you sit there, perhaps close your eyes, and you just absorb the album, right? Put your phone away. Put your phone in a different room. You know, don't be. You just you're completely focusing in on the album, mm. right? And I have been trying to do that, and 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 it's been making music really good, um, and 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 bring making certain albums mean a lot more to me, or or mean different things to me uh, by being able to do that. But I can't get this through this track by doing that. This track is an energetic track. It's something. Uh, I'm I'm much I much prefer listening to this album. Taking this album for a walk is how I describe it, and um, uh, I I can't I certainly can't just sit there and listen to I don't remember, because it is so energetic. It gives you a feeling. It makes you want to move, and and every time I just I mean I I I've been imagining just having this conversation with you, Johnny, and saying like imagine this as the first song played at a gig, you know, the build-up of those drums, the musicians slowly coming in, the crowd starting chanting, like, I don't remember, mm. you know, before the band fully kicks in. I I get this epic feeling from this song. Now, I don't know if this ever happened. I don't know if this was the first song ever played for a Peter Gabriel gig, but it's a, it's the feeling the song, the, the studio version of the song gives me, and... I, I I and I feel like any time like Peter Gabe uh, uh, sorry uh, Phil Collins is the drummer on on a certain track on this album like people are like oh yeah, that's Phil Collins that's Phil Collins well ladies and gentlemen let me introduce you to uh, Jerry Maratta on the drums because he he really earns his money I'm censoring myself though he earns his money on on tracks like this he really nails it. And it fills me with energy. It's it's one of my favorite songs. It it's something that uh, is is a track that stays in my head. I don't know if you're having such a hot 
reaction to this, but that that's how I feel when I was. No, I said it's, it's it's great. I, I like it. I think it's a perfect balance of momentum. It has catchy melodies, but it's still abrasive. Has really exciting production at the end. The guitar and the vocals mix together in some in a way that you can't tell where one begins and one where the other starts, and and that's interesting to me. And it seems to be a snapshot of a, of a, the destruction of a mind over the course of you know what about four minutes or so, which is just fantastic. And it's done sonically, it's done through the lyrics, and I, th- I just think this is the sort of thing that I want him to do throughout the album. And this is where that yeah. all those risks pay off. And like I said, this is the the high point for me. But unfortunately, it comes at track four, and then I'm gonna get probably quite a bit more negative about this album as we go forward. Really? Yep. How long have you been listening to this album? Uh, three weeks, I think. I mean, we were going to do it last Thursday. Um, it's now the end of February. And I, 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 I mean, look, I feel uncomfortable talking about albums it, to any degree in, in some way because you're always making statements that could be more nuanced, that could be more researched or, or just researched for us. Um, and... You're always making statements that if if they're taken out of context, people would say, this person's an idiot. They don't understand anything about this. Yes, fine, I agree. But I know nothing about this album. Some of the albums that we've talked about on Tumul and all of the U2 ones are deeply ingrained in my mind, whereas this is a new experience. Um, but I get this one. This is one that is one that really speaks to me, and I've stuck it on my best of 2021 playlist. So it's gonna I'm going to keep coming back to it when I go back to this mm-hmm. year. But there's some songs on this album that are bad. That well, fair, fair enough, fair enough. We'll dis- we'll discuss that, you know, going going through. Yeah. We'll go discuss that very soon. Uh, so you're happy to go to yeah, you're going happy to go, <laughs> happy to go to uh, family snapshot. Well, I'm not happy, but we have to. <laughs> um, family snapshot. My first note is, oh no, snap snapshot. Everyone's doing a, a Fam- shot of fa- snap. family snapshot. Yeah, get around, grandma, granddad. <laughs> Have you got my peach schnapps? Oh, lovely. Yeah, well, is that an impression of your grandma? <laughs> it's the family's snapshot, yeah. I would, lo- I would love to do an impression of my grandma, but she's been dead since 1997. Oh, well, how inconsiderate of her. Right, so um, I've put here, speaking of grandparents, <laughs> I've said he sounds about 80 years old. Um, this swerve is not pleasant. Hmm. So, again, Gabriel's using a weird vocal technique now some i imagine a lot of pg tips fans probably like this idea that he puts on different characters um but he his voice sounds weak and unenjoyable at the start here he sounds i said he sounds about 80 years old and it's just this right this to me is like a bad musical song even though a lot of the melodies are actually quite nice. Like when he says snapshot into the light, that's really nice. The melody, the dun, 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 dun. But man, it's a bad song. Snapshot into the light. Yeah, that's the one. Um, But this sounds like, and and I know I'm going to annoy Peter Gabriel fans because I think when I looked at this online, um, and did a bit of research. This was one of the songs that is frequently requested by fans. To, you know, it's something that fans want him to do live more. It's a firm, deep cut favorite. Um, a bit of, I mean, do you want me to tell? Do you want me to talk about the history of this song and where it comes from, Tyler? Or do you know and want to say? 
I don't know. You Where don't... are we going? So the song was inspired by an Assassin's Diary published in 1973 and written by Arthur Bremner, who on May 15th, 1972, so eight years prior, attempted to assassinate George Wallace, a politician who supported racial segregation. Um, from my my from what I can remember of George Wallace, he was an absolute. Um, well, I won't say, but he's, he's, he's not a nice guy, a, a thoroughly disgusting individual. But anyway, um, Gabriel talked about the, um, about the book in a 1988 authorised biography. An Assassin's Diary was a really nasty book, but you do get a sense of the person writing it. Bremner was obsessed with the idea of fame. He was aware of the news broadcasts all over the world and was trying to time the assassination to hit the early evening news in the States and in the late night Europe to get maximum coverage. So this is kind of a Mark Chapman sort of figure of someone who wants to assassinate someone not just for a personal reason, but in order to be famous. Like That seems to be something. And there's all of this um, backstory given that, you know, maybe he wasn't looked after as a kid. The, you know, the character in the, in the, in the, in the song is... It's just a weird. It's just a weird song, and I think it sounds more like a bad musical song to me than a, than a good album song. Um, it's just a bit silly. That's my vibe overall from this song. It's a silly song. Okay, so this could be um, a song by Billy Joel or Bruce Springsteen. I put Springsteen uh, from, at two minutes. It sounds like from, I want to run. Interesting that you particularly mentioned the two minute mark because I've also mentioned the two minute I think that's when it kicks off but like right from the start the way the piano um, uh, melody follows the vocal melody like take snapshot into the light snapshot into the light you know it's just it's the the married up really really well mm. and it and it reminds me of Springsteen songs and, and Billy Joel songs um, I think this is more PG playing by the rules or the the rules in inverted commas. Mm. Stephen um, Sondheim's not... rules. Well, well, perhaps. Um, Phil Collins is on the snare drum, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> Get him off. He'll break it. <laughs> um, I love the way the track builds to the two to the exactly to the two minute mark, and at the two minute mark, sonically, it completely fills your cans. It, uh, if 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 you're listening, close cans, which. You you tumble people should really be aware of right now. You should if you're not listening on the on the closed cans, then I don't know what you're doing. Sort yourselves out. Um, but did you not do you not get that? Do you not do you not love the way that it sonically filled filled the cans at that point? No, it sounds like it sounds no. like I'm watching a West End musical, a bad West End musical. And then there's that moment where the, the, he shoots the the gun and the bass goes, and I think. Jesus, I, how how literal what do you have what, to be? What about the saxophone in this? Do you like the saxophone in this? Nope. I, I d- see. For me, there's some. I'd like very few of the choices on this. It's ridiculous. For me, there's something very reminiscent about the music of my childhood when I hear a saxophone. It's something you don't necessarily hear uh, anymore. But in the late '80s, early '90s, the saxophone was very prevalent. All right, and and I, uh, by the way, ladies and gentlemen, on the saxophone, Dick Morrissey, but I, 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 just something that just fills me with a childlike, you know, a childlike warmth and uh, comfortability. Like, like, yeah, okay, I'm in a nice, safe place now, uh, and but and so with that, 
And I didn't know I didn't know the backstory of the song. But with that, by the time that the lyrics come round to come back, mum and dad, mm. you're growing apart. You know I'm growing up sad. I need some attention. I shoot into the light. That th- those lyrics really hit me a lot harder than I expected, or than I really understand. You know, like I, they they just they hit me. I'm not quite sure why they hit me so hard, but they they do hit me really hard. And I don't think that saxophone, uh, it, 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 that that saxophone really helps me get to that place because it already takes me to. Uh, it, it gets me thinking about that early '90s period where saxophone was quite prevalent in music, and then you know it takes me to that very childlike innocence, and then talk you know thinking about my mum and dad in that kind of way. It it get this song gets to me it, it, in a in a completely different way I suppose than was maybe intended. Yeah, um, look, I'm not saying there's not a sense of sadness and pathos to it and everything like that, but just it, it's it, it's some it's two things at the same time. So it says, "Mum and Dad, I'm growing up sad." Like that's basically the rhyme that's going on there. Partly that makes me think these are kind of a bit shoddy lyrics and then but then i get that he's trying to express something that is maybe it's it's his him playing a character but if he but if he was a child would he be able to be any eloquent any more eloquent yeah, no, I, that, that, is there not a, is there not a power in the simplicity yeah, that's, that's what that. i'm saying it's a it's a dual focus i can i can see it both ways but the over overwhelmingly the musical choices date it and Look, maybe it's just a. I I don't really like that tinkling Yamahari like old guitar, old piano sound particularly. I don't I don't think it sounds particularly good, and there there were nice melodies in this song. It's just it's just overwhelmingly. So I I don't like if it's a rock album, be a rock album. Don't put a weird musical song in halfway through. This is like we're going back to Spider Man here, like Turn Off the Dark. So I'd rather I'd rather the dark be brought back. I like the dark on this album and this just seems to not fit. So apologies to all the Peter Gabriel fans, but I'm, this is not a good song in my opinion. Okay then, um, that is the end of side A. Uh, if you want to go for a wee, just press it's pause. not the end of side A, no. Nope. Is it not? Weirdly, he has... Why do, you, why do you always do this to me? What? Why can't you just let it be? It's halfway through the album, for God's well, sake. I... Why do you... Like, why don't... Why, once... Right, maybe I'm not going to write. Why don't once... No, why don't once he just go... Just re- as, it, as if people are going to go and check. Well, because... Uh, you always you always have to make them like an idiot. Well, it's not difficult. And the, the thing is, right, the... The thing that I wanted to talk about, which is interesting, is that even though this is a 10-track album... He decides not to end it on Family Snapshot, which you would think would be a very natural place to end it, um, and you know do a five and five. He he carries on to and through the wire, so I, it's just a, it's a weird choice to me, and I thought that was interesting. I don't know why he does that, but there we go. Well, well, what we're we gonna do with all the people that have got have just gone for a you know what? <laughs> eh? I'm sure they'll be. Yeah, I'm sure they'll be fine. I'm sure they'll be fine. Um, well, should we carry on with them through the wire? Should we talk about it? Yeah, go on. Five minutes. Yeah. Long. Doesn't need to be five minutes long. It's very one note all the way through, I would say. And again, I get the feeling that I'm sure there's some fans who probably really like this as a deep cut and think this is exciting. But um, after you've heard it for about a minute, you've pretty much heard every place that it's going to go. And the only interesting thing I've got to say about it is Paul Weller's on guitar. And you can tell because you've got 
a very Weller sounding thing. I, I really like the jam, and I, and I like that Weller style of guitar, that harsh Rickenbacker sound. Um, but after it stomped around a little bit and made itself at home, it's kind of got nowhere else to go. It's just boom, 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 boom. And Gabriel's voice sounds good, but it's not it's not exciting me that much. So there you go. What do you think? One of the songs that have stuck in my head the most. It's catchy, but you know. I, I can imagine this being very well placed in so in um, um, soundtracks for movies. You know, maybe a driving sequence, maybe a I don't know a a leaving town sequence. There's a lot. There's lots of different sequences that I can imagine imagine this working. I really like this song. I don't have a lot to say about it. I do really like it. Johnny, you're an idiot. Well, I pretty much agreed with you there, though. I don't, I don't get what you like. I don't get what you like. You don't like the artistic stuff. You don't like the poppy stuff. And it, honestly, like I, 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 you would think by this point of how many episodes of Review Two and how many episodes of Tumble that that I would begin to get a, a sense of what you like. But I feel like you just like being difficult. No, I don't. <laughs> I. I <laughs> I feel like I feel like you, you sense what what most people would like, and then you just go, oh, well, I'm not going to like that. Well, then look, pl- look, play this song to ten people and ask them, do you agree with my basic assessment that it's all right, it's relatively catchy, but it's it's essentially a bit one note. That's all. I've I've not said it's a bad song, and not like the previous song, which is a bad song, I would say. Um, but yeah, look. In, what in, have we got to say about in it? Through the wi- in, in through the wire is not a bad song. It's yeah, not it's a fine. bad song. It's, it's fine. It might, it might it might be repetitive. I think it's a good strong song and a song that you, that, that you would like to hear live. As I said at the at the top of the episode as well, I would be very happy to hear if someone said, "Do you want to go and see Peter Gabriel play this entire album as a theatrical piece? You know, as a performance piece?" Then I think that would be fascinating and interesting, and his voice would be great with that however um am i going to chuck this on no and also because because we've recently watched that um we remotely joint watched the um the talking heads dvd uh well blu-ray together coming to your ears next month um i'm really into talking heads at the moment i'm getting much more into them than i ever have been and what I love about them is lacking on a song like the invention and the sheer variety and the musicianship that is kind of lacking on that previous song. Well, I'm glad you like something I've suggested for Tom. Yeah, exactly. Um, right. Well, let's flip it over. Um, I guess now, if you do desperately want to go to the toilet, you can do. And we've got side two, um, Games Without Frontiers, which apparently was a hit number four in the UK charts. I am baffled by that. Absolutely baffled by it. Uh, yep. Uh, released on the 4th of February, uh, 1980. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the, there is a bit of controversy with the song. There is a, um, a censorship with the song in that the original version has the line, whistling tunes we piss on goons in the jungle. Uh, which uh, which takes place after the second verse and before the second chorus. This w- was replaced uh, in most versions. I think most versions that you can listen to now has the line, whistling tunes were kissing baboons in the jungle. I mean, yeah. I, I, I don't like censorship in any form, really. 
Um, I don't think the second version is is much better, um, if at all better. No, it's but it's it's basically repeated from the uh, the first verse. This already says that in the first verse, mm. but. Uh, you know, um, I find this really odd. Uh, Kate, Kate, Kate Bush is on uh, on the backing Vox, and there are uh, the the Adolf Adolf line is from Evelyn Wars VJ Day. Yeah, um, I I just think as soon as he starts coming in with the with the kind of nursery rhymeish, you know, Hans plays with Lottie and Lottie plays with Blur and all that sort of stuff. I feel like I lose Peter Gabriel when he says, I'm going to do something mad and be a weird character. Like, as soon as he makes a decision that adversely affects his vocal sound. But yeah, but do you get what he's doing with this yeah, song? He's doing... Okay, so what, what what do you think that he's doing with this song? Well, it's a comment on that idea of wars being played as a form of of, of games between big leadership or dictators or people who are not actually going to be affected by this and treating people as dispensable. And the whole point is there's a kind of contrast between the happy-go-lucky, let's all play between the real-world effects of actual war. And obviously Vietnam is, and, and lots of other recent conflicts would have been in his mind. But it, but he's, equate, he's equating war to that of the the, the, the child, the, the, the schoolyard games of children, yeah, right? Yeah. And and they're the, the equally as pathetic and, uh, and and equally as predictable and 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 I, I so in that sense I like it in that in that sense I, I you know I get what he's doing so in that sense it makes sense to once again be a child and 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 have like the childlike rhymes that you would have in a uh, in in a school in a schoolyard yeah, it makes sense on paper. Doesn't sound good in the cans. Like if you want, see, I don't. You see, you've backed me into this corner. Where I don't want to agree with you, but I don't like this song either, right? I can't believe you've <laughs> you know, like, you put me in this position where I feel like I have to be be your contrarian now. But yeah, I uh, Games Road Frontiers is when I first listened to this album was probably the only song that I'd heard before, and I I just I don't like yeah, it. I thought at first that it might be you know very similar to. Uh, to to track one, Intruder, where it was just okay, it's a little bit weird. It doesn't really sound like pop music, but I might get around to it. It isn't. I just don't. I just don't like mm. this. I, I I understand that it's different and it's meant to sound different, and I I will never ever criticize anybody, any artist for doing something that's different and doing something that they want to do instead of something that they know will sell sell well. But my God, I really don't like well, this track. Well, he managed track. to do—he managed you know, to do both you know. here. He managed to do something that I don't like, and he made it a hit somehow. So I mean, that's—I mean, what do I know? Obviously, not anything. Uh, Arcade Fire have done a cover of it. I've not listened to it because, although I really like Arcade Fire, I don't want to hear this song again. So, yeah, um, not 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 a great fan. I would say um, I, I don't have a problem with the central idea of it. I think it's a great idea. But if you want to see that idea done better, I would say Elbow's song uh, "Leaders of the Free World" is is a is a better version of that idea of you know the people who are in charge, even though they seem like they are maybe mature, are actually much more akin to children than they you know just playing toy playing games that kind of thing and are pathetic. I no. mean, but and, and look, maybe that's very very relevant for our world when we've just had you know Trump as a president for the for the, for the, you know how long. So, you know. Right, anyway. 
let's carry on then. So, um, not one of us. There is some interesting uh, larking about, which is which humanizes um, Peter Gabriel at the start of this. He's sort of messing around and doing, doing. So, you you heard this? This little, sort of weird little bit at the start, which they've caught. It seems like a bit candid and a bit fun. Um, and then he starts. Yeah, I, my my first question is thoughts on PG's howling at the beginning. I, I like it, but then he starts making a. Uh, you see, I thought you'd hate no, that. Fine. What is, what's up with you with this album? You, you're all wrong. <laughs> um, I don't like the seal sounds that he starts to make after that. He starts to make like a... Uh, 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 like sounds. Like, which He sounds very weird after that point. Um, and there's a very distinctive bass sound, which is really pronounced throughout all of this all of this um, song. But I like it. And, and, I, and I, I much prefer this after having to sit through Games Without Frontiers. This seems a lot more like he's going back to those themes of exclusion of isolation of not being accepted and that's where the album really shines to me and that's that's something that goes throughout this throughout the good songs and the bad you know it, this it's quite a dark album considering what people usually associate with peter gabriel i would say yeah i mean i was uh well i don't know i think i think people associate so um you know sledgehammer that you know big time that kind of thing with with him which is very big bright poppy but I think this is more where the heart of Peter Gabriel lies. Like you know, particularly if you've never listened to Red Rain, uh, I, I think you know that's certainly more in the vein of this stuff than 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 that. And it obviously, but obviously, it's on the on the same album. Um, it was only on this track, several after several times of listening to it, that I really realised that I wasn't normally when i listen to an album i'll i'm i'm really focused on the lyrics more, probably more so than every, everything else but um it was th- with this track that i started to realize that I, with peter gabriel i don't really consider the lyrics i'm listening to it as a sonic thing and i and, and i care only about how it sounds sonically in my cans um I I think not not one of us has got some really interesting lyrics but i hadn't heard them until you know, I'd listened seven, eight, nine, ten times. Well, so, the whole album's quite distracting um, in terms of its production. I mean, you you can, it's not one of those albums where you are sonic sonic overload. Yeah, that's certainly. what I mean. So you, you're not really. It's not like a Damien Rice album where you're pushed to consider the lyrics. Here, you're meant to be saying, "Well, that that bass sounds weird," or "What is that? Is that a glass cutter?" You know, like it's just weird. Yeah, I, for, for me, PG is all about the sonic adventure that he chooses to take you on, and uh, and and I think that's because I've kind of handed over the keys in that regard. That I'm I'm a lot more forgiving uh, with songs like uh, "And Through the Wire." He's like, okay, you just take me where you want to go. Uh, and I'm less concerned about whether it takes me um, to to places that I like. You know, you know, like because just because uh, Thin Lizzy was the album that we we were listening to before this, Thin Lizzy is much more of what I would say I like. But I'm equally as interested in in listening to this album. Um, do you get it's that? Interesting, but less enjoyable. And see, I'd I'd have to disagree. I'd, I'd have to disagree. There, I, I, it, Thin Lizzy's Jailbreak is more pleasing, mm-hmm. but uh, I I'm I'm no more less likely to listen to this album than than Jailbreak because they they offer something very they offer something different to me, and the, and they're both of the, of any of equal interest. 
yeah, just less enjoyable this one. <laughs> Which is what I said. Um, lead a normal life. Um, this is a very weird one, and I do like this song. And I think the album ends strong, even though it dips in the middle. Um, the I mean, we can basically read out all the lyrics here. So, um, and this is one of the times. I'm going. Hang on. So what? What we have here is a little bit of poetry, okay. right? So I wanted to set you a challenge. Okay. Why are you Southern American all of a sudden? Why not? (laughs) So I wanted to set you a challenge of reading out this bit of poetry and see who does it better. Are you using that voice or or your normal voice? I may use any of my voices. Okay. Who's going first? And are we meant to be reading it. You go first. Reading it like Peter Gabriel. We could also we could also put the bad. We could also put the bad. No, we don't have to read it like Peter Gabriel. We 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 could also put the bad of the like you know the intro music on, and I think that might be nice. But you can do that in post. Um, possibly. We'll see. Okay, fine. Well, I, I'll I'll go first here. Um, I don't really know what I'm going for, so I guess I'll just wing it. It's nice here with the view of the trees, eating with a spoon. They don't give you knives. Spec you watch those trees blowing in the breeze. We want to see you lead a normal life. Don't know what motion I was going for, so it's a it's a mixed bag. <clears throat> it's nice here with a view of the trees eating with a spoon. They don't give you knives. Spect you watch those trees blowing in the breeze. We want to see you lead a normal life. Well, yours is certainly more haunting. Good. Um, is this song yet in your Relax and Work playlist? No, because it has lyrics in it, so it's automatically oh. excluded. Also, he's such a lyric fascist. Also, it's, it's got a very, very disturbing quality because you got this lovely um, xylophone bit that's like dum ba dum ba dum ba dum ba, which seems really nice and calming. If it was just that quietly, then that would make it in. But then you have this weird. I bet. I bet there's an instrumental somewhere. On what? What do you mean? On the internet. Of this, well, there's everything on well, the internet. Yeah, but the thing is. Between those nice bits, you've then got this weird screaming bit in the background where it's going, rah, 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 which is like very downbeat. You just completely cut. You completely cut out when you went high. Then what? Did you, what did you do that again? Well, I, it'll, it'll record it on mine anyway. But where it goes, rah, 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 it like it's this weird like distortion. It's really weird because you get a whiplash between that soothing piano bit and then the the really odd screaming parts and. Um, this caused, um, apparently, looking at the album, this caused a lot of the executives who received the album initially to ask, has Peter been in a mental hospital? There was a very weird track called Lead a Normal Life. Peter Gabriel said, I th- uh, they thought I'd had a breakdown and recorded a piece of crap. I thought I'd really found myself on that record and then someone just squashes it. Squashies. I went through some primordial rejection issues. So um, I think... People were expecting Peter Gabriel to make some sort of more poppy sounding thing, and then, and then they bring out this, which 
it does sound a bit like a narration from a character who is who is sat in a mental hospital but obviously he's playing a character there and and playing with the ideas of of calm and then sadness and distortion and stuff so this is a great song this is one of those the risks that works that works for me yeah um i i really um have a lot of this time it, it, it's um I've taken this on for a walk a few times, and it just it just keeps going. I would I would recommend people just you do something while you you listening to this album. I think that's when it begins to make sense, really. Um, yeah, I I I love lead a normal life. Uh, not that I know what a normal life is, but I I well, love the song. Well, no one does at the moment, do they? So there we go. Soon. Um, right, well, uh, Biko then. The last the last track, Biko. Oh, Biko. Biko, because Biko. It's definitely stuck in my head. that This has been stuck in my head all, all week, so I have had a version of that um, going around my head after hearing this and getting used to it. And the thing that made this really weird as a listen to me is after, after about... I mean, to begin with, the, the guitar, like right at the start, is very Joshua Tree era. Um, but then by the time you get into about five minutes or so, it sounds a lot like Mother Mothers of the Disappeared. And I now, I don't think I'll be able to hear Mother, Mothers of the Disappeared, which is one of my favourite tracks off Joshua Tree, without thinking back to this and thinking, Bono must have been listening to this song. And I know that he's heard this song. He talks about it. Yeah, that's a connection I haven't made until you just but said it's that. It's yeah. like he's been taking notes and thinking, right, I'm going to do Biko, but I'm going to do it. You know, I'm going to take. I'm going to change the context. I'm going to make it more about South America rather than about South Africa. You see, I, like I said in the intro, I feel like the first attempt at Biko was forty. Uh, yeah, 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 yeah. I, I, I feel like they must. I mean, if you're going into a studio with with a producer, would you not listen to the yelms that he's done? Well, I, I guess so. So yeah. that must have been on the on the the radar, and 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 again, as I said earlier, the. Uh, Bono credits Biko with the song that taught him about apartheid. Mm. Now there isn't, uh, the, 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 you know, the, the lyrics aren't a documentary. They're not that informative. So it mu- this must have inspired something in Bono to go away and find out more about Stephen Biko. So, um, so, so that's interesting. Uh, but uh, the the more I, I listen to this song and the more I, I watch live versions of this song, I begin to think. <laughs> Is you is U2's whole career indebted to this song and this album? You think about the way they transformed Walk On, um, you know, where they basically had uh, us uh, cosplaying and and sang Suu Kyi in in two thousand nine. Uh, you know, obviously that's dated pretty badly, but you can see connections between. The Stephen Biko situation and the uh, Aung San Suu Kyi situation when she was initially under house arrest. They're not the same. I'm not saying they're the same, but you can certainly see certain uh, similarities that artists might be trying to raise awareness to these kind yeah, of issues. I think what they've learned early on is oh, someone who is in the same industry as us can stand on a stage, draw attention and use that platform. So yeah, you two might be very different band without Peter Gabriel. I, I don't think I don't I don't think it's can. I think should. Well yeah. You know, some somebody you know, some somebody uh, with our amount of reach 
and our stage should, because even if even if ten thousand people go, oh, you know what, I, I'm not interested in you two anymore because you know they're, they're just too political. There might be twenty other twenty thousand other people that go. Do you know what? I had no idea about that, but that 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 hurts me. That make that matters to me. That means something to me, and I want to find out what I can do about yeah. that. You, if you have that stage. I will always defend. I don't agree with every political decision you two make, but I'll always defend the right to say what they want to say, and I think they're a better band for yeah. it. And and I mean, just practically speaking, I went to the University of Manchester, and the Stephen uh, or Steve Bicko building is. I, I went there loads of times. It's the Union building. It's where you go for a pint, basically. And apart from reading the couple of paragraphs that were on the wall. Um, giving you a bit of information about why it was called that, I was only dimly aware of the uh, the abuses that he was subject to, the torture that killed him, and this song more than a whole building. And it's my ignorance; I'm not, I'm not blaming the University of Manchester for this, obviously. But um, this song made me go back and look more in depth. You know, watch a couple of videos online, try to gain a bit more of an understanding about this. Um, so it's done its job in, 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 in that respect. And it seems like he, that Peter Gabriel is someone who has tried to use his platform in order to, in some way alleviate or, or reduce racial tensions. And that's, that's good. And that's, and also this song is good. It's, it's a decent song. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, That that was my next point. This, this song is a good song. It, It, um, the first time I was listening to this, um, I must be going back to October, September, October last year, when I was decorating my house, and um, I knew that I wanted to do this with Tumble, so I, I, I put it on. And I obviously, then when I'm listening to the, this song for the first time, I had no idea about uh, uh, Steve Biko or, or, or you know, the subject matter, or, you know, it was aimed that way. In fact, I just thought it was because, 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 because. Um, the Wizard because of Oz. I, I had that little of it, because I had that little of an idea about it. Uh, uh, and, it and it was just a good song, and a good uh, a good hooky song that stuck in, in your head. Uh, only got to 38 in the UK charts, though. Uh, well, I mean, yeah. I mean, again... Not not a not a high scoring no, album. This I th- I, the al- the album got to number one, but the singles did but it's not do well. Single friendly. I mean, look, Mothers of the Disappeared is a beautiful song. Would it race up the charts? Probably not. Um, so I un- I get that. <laughs> I, un- I understand that. And there we go. Yeah. But, um, but a good uh, the album finishes strong. Uh, whereas I think it, I just think like it has a lot of missteps in the middle. But I. As a piece of art, I'm very glad that I've been introduced to it. And I'm sorry again to any Peter Gabriel people who think, what is he on about? Uh, my opinion doesn't matter, but that's how I took it. But but can you see why I thought this might be interesting to you as a oh, YouTube yeah, yeah, fan? Yeah, it has been for, the, for those reasons, yeah. And, um, and I. Cool. And All right, look, that's fine. two of these songs have made the cut of the best of, of 2021. You know, they're, they're on there. So I am going to listen to them again. A mere two months into the into the yeah, year, who'd exactly. have thought? Uh, are they the only two songs you've listened to this year? No, got got some Patty Smith, got uh, Romeo and the Lonely Girl from Finn Lizzy, uh, Burning Down the House, lots of great songs, mainly from Tumble, to be honest. For, from this, God, what a sad life! Yeah. 
<laughs> so, uh, Johnny, um, we've not been doing this. Is this an album or a flipping album for you? Oh God, we, we haven't been doing this, so um, I'm not prepared for it. It's Weirdly, it might actually be a flipping album, but just one that isn't very good. Like It does feel coherent in a way. Yeah, I feel like it really it, it it's its own thing, isn't it? Yeah, you know, nothing it, else quite like it. It's very of itself. Yeah, it's it, it works yeah. together, but, uh, I don't, I, but it doesn't mean that I enjoy it, uh, some parts of it. Yeah, I think it's a flipping album. Do you um do you have a favorite track? Yeah, my favorite track would be "I Don't Remember." And I phrase that in a way that you can't. I, I'm not going to do me- that. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's fine. You- yeah, I, I mean, I don't remember. I don't remember is a a, re- a really good one uh, to go for. There's there's a quite a few. I really like. Fam- I mean, family snapshot isn't one that's necessarily stuck in my head. But when I listen to it, it kind it has this this effect on me, which again, I, I don't I don't really understand. And maybe I, I need to find a, a, a expensive therapist to talk uh, about that with. Um, but I'm going to go with Family Snapshot because it's certainly one that stuck out to me over the last couple of days. My, uh, your least favourite track, Johnny? Well, Snapshot was duking it out with uh, Games Without Frontiers for the worst the worst track, but Games Without Frontiers managed to win it, mainly for the whistling. Yeah, game, <laughs> Games Without Frontiers is just a... It's just bad well, music, really, isn't that it? was the highest rated, so I, I don't know what universe we're living in where that gets to number four. Mad. Yeah, 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 ridiculous. Um, really, I, I, I'm... As an introduction to um, Peter Gabriel from the aspect or the... the uh, yeah, from the aspect of, of a U2 fan, I think this is a, this is a good intro. There are better uh, albums. So was produced by Danny Lanois, as were the, the next three albums. Uh, so Danny Lanois has actually produced U2's best-selling album and Peter Gabriel's best-selling mm-hmm. album. Well, so uh, stick that in your pipe and smoke it. Um, uh, I um, yeah, I, I think this is I think this is a great album. Um, I think next week we, we might be having a little bit more fun. Next month we might be having a little bit more fun as we talk uh, we talk about Talking Heads and our first D- Tummel DVD review of Stop Making Sense. Uh, me and myself and Joy did do a little Zoom meetup last week and uh, where we watched that. Uh, and uh, I think Johnny got very very drunk. <laughs> you can talk. Very very drunk. <laughs> <laughs> So that's what we're going to be doing next month. Uh, thank you for joining us. We hope you've enjoyed uh, this week's edition. If you have any suggestions for future tumbles, please let us know. Uh, other than that, obviously, just go to iTunes and leave us a five-star review because you know we deserve it. Johnny, any last uh, thoughts? No. I, I imagine that's going to be a new catchphrase, the you know we deserve it at the end every week. I look forward to that coming back <laughs> next time. <laughs> no, cheers for listening, guys. That's it. Well, yeah. Yeah, cheers for listening and we'll see you next month. Goodbye.
Thank you for listening to Review 2, the U2 podcast. If you'd like to get in contact or for more information, please follow us on Twitter at REV underscore U2 or on Facebook.com forward slash REV U2 2U. For those rebel type guys, why not email us at review2contact at gmail.com. Review 2 was presented by Johnny and Tyler. <laughs>